Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Genesis 22, we're going to read about 14 verses here. This is a, a beautiful story of God's commitment to Abraham and Abraham's commitment to God. Uh, says in verse 1, says, Sometime later, that's after what was going on in chapter 21, uh, where he had his son Isaac, uh, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham replied, Here I am. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Uh, it's, it's interesting that God knows what's going on in our heart. He says, take your son, your only son, which that's obvious. That's easy to know. But then he also says, whom you love. He knows the movements of our heart. He knows the inclinations of our heart. He knows things that we don't even express to other people. God sees that inside of Abraham, and he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. This is one of the, one of the strangest uh, verses in all of the Old Testament. There's a lot of uh, uh, Hebrew scholars, there's, there's, there's a lot of um, Jewish rabbis that have argued about what in the world this means, why God would ask him to do such a horrible thing. Uh, there's a lot of Christian scholars that have, have wondered as to what in the world God is talking about. Why would God ask him to um, sacrifice his son? But he, he asked him to do that. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I'll show you. Early the next morning, Abraham gets up. He loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up. It's interesting, the third day. A lot of good things happen on the third day. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Actually, Isaac would have been a grown man by this time, but the boy is just relative to uh, Abraham's age. We will worship and come back to you. That's an interesting statement. Even though Abraham knew what God had asked him to do, and even though Abraham intended to do what God had asked him to do, Abraham makes this statement right here. He says, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire um, and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? <laughs> We're missing something. Verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Abraham is not lying. Uh, Abraham is speaking out of faith. Uh, faith sometimes sees things that the regular eye doesn't see. He says, God will provide a lamb. So in verse 9, they reached the place that God had told them about. So Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, saying, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that uh, you, for now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there, and in the thicket, this is the second time that Abraham looks up, by the way. And in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horn. So he goes over and takes the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
I, I find it interesting. This story has so many um, uh, uh, Christian overtones to it. Yet, honestly, this story, if we could just keep it up there. Honestly, this story, if, this, this story is not only a Christian story. Uh, this story is, is one of the key foundational scriptures in, 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 in another one of the world's biggest religions, is Judaism. So the Jews find their, 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 their father of the faith also in Abraham. And this moment for Abraham is a testing of Abraham where he, he really sort of signals this covenant with God that he is ready to do anything. He is fully committed to God. And uh, not only do the Jews find this to be a very powerful scripture, but also Islam. This is a foundational scripture in another one of the world's biggest religions is Islam, who also look to Abraham as the father of the faith. And they look to this scripture, although they kind of swap out Isaac with another guy. But anyway, it's a version of this story. <laughs> a version of this story is powerful. Like you, you read this scripture, no matter, almost no matter where you are in the world, most places in the world are going to have knowledge about this scripture because it is significant uh, to their religious belief. This is a, a foundational moment, not only for Jews and uh, for Muslims and for Christians. Christians also see a fulfillment of this moment in Christ. So there are a lot of uh, uh, what, what theologians would call Christology. There's, there's, there's a lot of... Um, sort of hints and, and, and shadows and, and suggestions about Christ. For instance, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Abraham, he takes his son, right, his only son, kind of like God took his only son. Uh, Abraham also takes along two servants, and there were two thieves uh, along with Jesus when he was crucified. Uh, Abraham cuts the wood and puts it on his son. Well, uh, uh, God's son carried the wood of the cross up the the hill of Calvary. Uh, he's crucified. He, Jesus was crucified on a hill called Golgotha. Many believe that Golgotha is the exact same hill uh, that that this that this whole incident is happening. Uh, it's hard to to be specific about that because um, later on in Chronicles you hear that this mountain is actually called Moriah, and uh, there's actually a mountain range of Moriah, and so it could be a couple of mountains. But there's a possibility that Jesus himself was crucified on the same mountain. Um, that Isaac uh, was almost killed on. And, and so it, it is prophetic as, as a Christian. I believe it's prophetic about Christ. It's pointing toward Jesus. And there's so much richness in this story that, that you, could, you could preach about it forever. And I'm not going to. I'm going to do about four weeks. But, uh, but there's so much richness in it. But I find it funny that at the end of this super rich story, this amazing story, the story about Abraham's commitment to God, God's commitment to Abraham, the story about, about, about his, his solidifying his faith and his covenant with God Almighty for, for that generation, but for the generations to come. However, when you read this story, look at, look at what the, the writer says. The writer says at the conclusion of this story, that so Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. In other words, the, the, the author of this story, which, which, which would have been Moses, came to the conclusion after reading this powerful story, yes, there are those powerful overtones, but beyond that, he said, look, this is what you ought to get out of this story. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. As it is said to this day, he's relating it to a common saying of his day. And he says, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about a sermon series title called uh, It's in the Mountain. So what God has for you is in the mountain. So turn to somebody. Don't call him your neighbor because you probably don't live next to him. But just just announce a sermon title to them. Tell them it's in the mountain. Uh, man, and if you went out of your way to not talk to the person next to you, that's, that's a sign that, that you obviously don't like that person. So everybody else should get offended right now. This is church. We might as well just start it off right. Just go ahead. Get your feelings hurt. Get upset. Stomp on out. I mean, you know, because it's, it's, in, it's in the mountain. Like, like what God has for us. And, and this is true, I think, as a church. I, I think it's always in the mountain. It's never out in the field. It's never on a solid place. It's never an easy place to get to. It's in the mountain. But what God has for us in the mountain is, is what we need. You say, what's in the mountain? Well, your, your, your joy is in the mountain. Your, your peace is in the mountain. Your provision is in the mountain. The power, the presence of God is in the mountain. I believe that God has a lot of things in store for us. You see, like, like there, was, there was something for Abraham in the mountain. God had, had already 
put something for Abraham in the mountain. But there was also something that Abraham was going to leave for God in the mountain. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about that divine exchange um, between God and man. Uh, last night, last night uh, I did a memorial service uh, for, for our, our dear man, Ron. Uh, those of you that don't know, Ron passed away uh, recently. Um, I believe it was a week and a half ago. Uh, Ron, if you don't know who Ron is, Ron's, Ron's the rock guy. Um, he used to sit right about, right about there where Janie's sitting. Uh, Ron and Jennifer have been a part of our church for um, almost since the beginning, like two, a little over two years. We've only been going two and a half years. And um, Ron and Jennifer joined us uh, in the theater. Ron passed away, um, I, I believe, due to complications with surgery that he had, um, uh, heart, heart surgery. And, uh, and it's sad, and we're mourning the loss of, of Ron. But uh, last night, I, I uh, got to share. It was an honor to share at his little memorial service at their home. And it was only, like, close family and friends. Um, and uh, uh, Jennifer asked me to come and speak. And so I was there in the backyard, you know, traffic, driving by and everything. And I'm sharing about Ron. And, um, and uh, we, I, I personally really, really enjoyed Ron. Ron was the rock guy. We call him the rock guy, not because he was in a band. Um, he might have been. I don't know. <laughs> you never know what Ron was up to. I don't know. Uh, uh, he might have been in a band, uh, but we call him the rock guy, and it really is not even, like, he would, he would always correct me. It's not rocks, it's crystals. He was big time into, like, minerals and crystals and things that are over my head in, in terms of education. Um, so I don't even hardly talk about it, but, um, but he, was, he, was, he was big time into those. And even, even, like, uh, even, like, in the Christmas Eve service, he handed out a bunch of these, like, these little um, cross-shaped crystals. I forget what they were called, but they naturally are formed in the, like, quartz. They're naturally formed in the shape of, of a cross, and uh, he thought that'd be really cool. And so he just loves sharing. He's a generous guy, um, really, really, really great guy. I, everybody who's been in the church for a while, like you know who Ron is. Ron, Ron is the, the 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 biggest hugger, or was the biggest hugger of our church. He actually taught me how to hug right. Apparently, I was doing it wrong, and uh, he taught me how to hug right. And so you say, how do you hug right? Well, basically, you're supposed to go like left to left so that it's like heart to heart. You're supposed to go heart to heart and you're supposed to hold it for three seconds. You're, you you got to count to three, you know. <laughs> so you go heart to heart, hu- count to three. And uh, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't belligerent about it. He just informed me I was doing it wrong. So uh, I, I, whenever I hugged Ron, I did it that way. When I hugged other people, I did the side hug because I'm from Michigan. That's what we do. But um, you know what I'm saying? Because you got to leave room for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, He's not, he's not that big, but he needs, he's a little space. He's a little space. I don't, I don't know. I learned that in, in, uh, in, in youth ministry, and I just, I just kept, I just kept it. But, um, but, man, but, man, with Ron, like, with Ron, like, he just got to hug heart to heart and hold it. And uh, he, was, he was just that kind of guy. He was, he was all, I, I love Ron because he spoke kind of the, the questions that a lot of us have, but we just don't verbalize. Um, and, uh, 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 he, I, I remember one day we were out in the hallway and, uh, it was, it was after I got done preaching. And so I just got done preaching a 40 minute sermon and, uh, you know, I was a little bit tired, but, um, actually it was, it took me an hour, but it was only a 40 minute sermon, but <laughs> I preached it for an hour and, uh, I come out and Ron's, Ron, Ron's getting coffee and, uh, Ron, Ron stops me in the hallway and he says, he says, hurry, 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 hurry. He, 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 had, like, he had like this New York accent, you know, he's Italian and he's like, he's like, hurry, hurry, uh, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> that's Ron, that's Ron, like that's the kind of questions Ron would ask, what is the meaning of life? And, uh, <laughs> I'm like, man, uh, I need a little more coffee, you know what I'm saying? I need a little... <laughs> So I'm, I'm kind of quick on my feet. So I said, well, Ron, everybody knows it's 42, clearly 42. If anyone's watched the Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, a literary classic, um, the meaning of life is 42. Uh, and he, he never seen it, so he just kind of looked at me, and I said, okay, just whatever. Um, you know, I said, Ron, what do you think it is? And uh, Ron said, well, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't remember his exact words, but he said something like, you know, I, I think it's pretty much like, like to be happy um, and to help others, be happy and help others. And uh, I said, Ron, you know, I can't argue with that answer. That's a good answer. Um, you know, and personally, I mean, I, I think that is definitely a big part of the meaning of life. But uh, according to Scripture, Scripture tells us that we are here to glorify God. And so, and so Ron, you know, naturally says, yeah, okay, well, but what does that mean? 
right? Because Ron's always like, like, what does it mean, though? Like, what do you mean by that? I don't need churchy words. Like, let me know. What are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, glorify God. Uh, Isaiah 42, um, God says, I made everything. Oh, this is paraphrased. He says, God says, I made everything, and therefore I deserve everything. Therefore, I want everything. So, so to give God glory is to give him credit um, for everything. To give him glory is to give him fame. To give him glory is to lift him up, is to, is to remember him, is to know him, and to make him known, to share him with other people. And so I said, Ron, you know, really, your answer to help others, I mean, that's really part of it because one of the best ways that we make him known is by helping others. So it's a byproduct. Helping people is a byproduct of giving God glory, is what we would say in the church. And, uh, uh, and, and I said, plus, another byproduct of helping people and of glorifying God is it makes you happy. It's, it's the happiest you'll ever be without chemical help, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's the happiest you'll ever be. You, you will be it, it is, it's, it's the best thing. So it's kind of weird. It's like being happy and helping people. Those are actually byproducts of finding the, the, the real purpose and the real reason of life. The, the real reason why we all exist is to bring God glory, to lift him up, to show the world how worthy he is. Worthy is a Christian term, but it means worth e. It means incredibly worth, worth a lot. That God is, is worth a whole lot. And this is, this is something that, that, that Abraham demonstrates for us in this story. This, to me, this mountain experience for Abraham, first off in this first week, is, is really about um, what, what Abraham calls worship. Abraham looks at his, his, at his fellow servants and he says, me and the boy are going to go worship. It's funny because God said he wanted him to sacrifice his son. And I think, I think it's Pastor Robin who said that what God calls Sacrifice, Abraham called worship. Because those are actually very, very similar. Because you don't know how worthy something is, how worth something, how much something is worth to you until, in, until you whip out your, your debit card. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't, like, like, like until you see the price tag. You know, like you, 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 you can you can you can walk through a store and, and, and say, well, you know, I'm not really sure what if I should buy this or buy that or buy the other. But then when you start looking at the price tag, you see which one is worth a little more. You see which one is a little is made of a little bit better stuff, which one's going to last a little bit longer, oftentimes based on the price tag. And, and, and for you to evaluate something is one thing. But but what God wants us to do is actually not just evaluate him or, or assess his worth, but rather to ascribe to him. Him his worth uh, to value, not just e-value, but to value him greatly. And that's what Abraham's doing in this passage. Abraham is basically saying that I value God more than my son. I value God more than my dreams, more than what I am, am, am desiring for my life. And that is the, that the purpose of all of life, is to get to the place where we understand the incredible value of God ourselves. Before we tell everybody else about how valuable he is, uh, to really truly understand how valuable he is to us. And that's why, and honestly, that's why I like Ron, because Ron was so honest about these kinds of things. Because a lot of Christians, you know, the, the reason why they're at church is because they're wondering what is the meaning of life. They just never really say that. But you wouldn't come to church and looking for something higher, or something greater, if you had already found something that was already worthwhile. And so we're, we're naturally looking for something that is worth more than things that we have found here on this earth and relationships that we have found on this planet. There's got to be something worth more, something bigger, something something. Better better uh, than this, something greater than this. And so Ron, you know, asks the question, well, what is the, the purpose of life? And so when I, told, when I told Ron about how it is to worthy God, it is to glorify him, it is to show his worth, it is to value him, uh, Ron asked the obvious question that no other Christian seems to ever ask me. He said, well, so if God made everything and then he wants everything for himself, doesn't that make God kind of selfish? <laughs> <laughs> that's another reason why I loved Ron, because he wasn't afraid, you know, to, 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 be a little, to be a little off the beaten path with questions. A lot of times Christians, they're concerned. I, I probably shouldn't ask that that sounds dumb or that doesn't sound right. It sounds like I'm a heretic. And, and we get concerned about, oh, this is probably the wrong question. No, there's no wrong questions. God's not intimidated by your questions. God's not concerned about that. 
In fact, I kind of agreed with Ron. I said, yeah, actually, God's like the most selfish being in, the, <laughs> in all the universe. He is so selfish. He believes everything belongs to him. And scripture even tells us that everything created came from him, like things that you see, wood and, and trees, dirt, all the rocks that Ron loved. I mean, everything, like God made all that stuff. He also made our bodies. He also made unseen things like our spirit. Scripture tells us that after we die, that the soul will return to the God who made it. And this is why we all stand before him and give an account, not because of what we did in our bodies, but because of what we did in his bodies that we were borrowing for 70 years, 75 years, whatever it was. What we did with his earth that we were borrowing for the amount of time that we're here. What we did with his people. The relationships that we were borrowing. So on the one hand, yes, indeed, God is incredibly selfish. But honestly, you know, on the other hand, he's actually sharing all of his stuff all the time. He's sharing because our bodies are his and he lets us use them for a while. Our, the earth is his, but he lets us play on it for a while. You know, I mean, all of this stuff is all, the time and space and matter is all his. And he allows us to, to, to use it freely. He doesn't even check to see if we're good people or not. He just lets us use it. So he's actually, you know, one of the most generous people in the, in the universe as well. And, and uh, uh, so, you know, we, so, but, but, but with Ron, you always kind of get, in, get into those kinds of discussions. But this is, this is, this is the, the dynamic that we have that, that, in, that in, in church we often talk about like, like the things that God, that, God, that God wants for us, you know, that he wants us to, to believe right and he wants us to behave right, you know. But I, I think it's much bigger than that. God doesn't give Abraham a set of, beliefs or a doctrine statement okay there's three of me but there's really one of me but there's three of me and there's there's one of me you got to figure that one out and then there's uh there's there's there's, there's this situation over here you have to believe that that happened then you have to say this certain creed and you have to understand he he doesn't give him a belief system he doesn't give Abraham a belief system. He's establishing this covenant with him for the rest of future generations. Abraham's the father of the faith. And yet he doesn't start off with a theology. He doesn't start off with a doctrine. Now, um, uh, here's, here's Ten Commandments. Those came a lot later. But in the, the beginning, God is not looking to establish a doctrine or a to-do list or a don't-do list or a theology even. We don't even know what Abraham thought of God. Did he understand anything about God? We don't really know much of what he knew because that wasn't that important to God. God is not looking to establish a doctrine or belief system or a behavioral system. He's looking to establish a value system. This value, he's, he wants Abraham to value him above everything else. He wants Abraham to love him above everything else. He wants Abraham to see his incredible worth beyond the details of his personhood and his nature and, 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 his, and his doctrine and, and his history and what he's done in all over the universe. He doesn't even share that with, with Abraham. But beyond all that, he says, I first want you to see how powerful, how great I am, how much I'm worth. And I want you to value me. And I think this is a huge part of the Christian life that we skip right over. We, we, we skip right over it because we get right to the belief system so that we can get right to the behavioral system so we can all start acting like good Christians. But we don't really value. And we learn how to do church and we learn how to walk in and say, hi, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. We learn, we learn, we learn some Christian disciplines, but we never learn the basis of that discipline, which is this incredible God who is so valuable, who is so worthy that he is worth everything that we have. He is worth all of our time, all of our attention, all of our devotion, all of our, our, our family, all of, all of our talents, all of our money, all of our everything. And we skip out on the value of him. And then, and then we start trying to believe right and behave right. And, and it's difficult. It's the law, basically. And the only good news is that someday you can, you can quit struggling and you're going to go to heaven. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You're going to make it. You know, and it's, it's like, well, but, but what about right here? Like, isn't God doing something right here and right now? Isn't, isn't, isn't he doing something? Didn't Jesus say, whoever, whoever believes in me and is dead, he will live again. But whoever believes in me while he's living will actually never die. Didn't he say that I will enter into some kind of eternal life right here and right now? 
Isn't there something here and now that is more than just a to-do list and a schedule and something to believe and a way to behave? Isn't there something bigger than this? And this is, this is, I think, the question that many of us are asking. This is, this is the question that Abraham is asking. God's not just asking Abraham to believe in some, some, some being somewhere, and then someday, Abraham, you're going to come on up to heaven. It's going to be awesome. But he is bringing him on a journey of faith right there where he's living. And the first lesson is that God is worthy. Not only is God worthy, but God is able to provide on the mountain of the Lord. God is able to take care of exactly what we need. He's able to provide that it's in the mountain. What he is doing in our lives, what, what, what he is bringing for us is going to be found in the mountain. And, and, and kind of the way I like to visualize, it, I don't know, I'm a simple, simplistic kind of person. I, 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 I kind of like to visualize a mountain, right? Like a hill. Uh, Mount Moriah is probably what this hill was. It's about 2,500 uh, uh, feet uh, above sea level. So it, it rises a little bit. Um, and... Uh, uh, I don't know. Abraham is going up the mountain and he's bringing his son, his only son whom he loves. He's getting ready to sacrifice him. He's got the knife. He's got the fire. He's got the wood. Uh, he's, he's ready. He's ready to go. And he's, he's making this, 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 this trek, right? He's climbing this mountain. He's making this trek. And it's that, that, that's got to be one of the loneliest treks. It's got to be one of the hardest walks that Abraham ever, ever did. And while he's walking up the mountain, we understand that he gets to the top of the mountain. He, he binds Isaac, right? There's, there's, something, there's something that God wants you to find, the ram. And then there's something God wants you to bind. <laughs> and so we're going to be getting into that each week. But he binds, uh, he ties up Isaac. Isaac allows him to do that. He doesn't fight or struggle. He lays him down on the altar and he gets ready to, to kill him. And then the angel stops him. And, and it, says that, it says that Abraham looked up. And really what that means is Abraham looked beyond. Abraham looked to the background, like the right, seemingly right behind Isaac, like somewhere beyond the, the altar, beyond, like sort of in the background. He wasn't focused on any of that. He wasn't focused on the background. He was focused on his son and what God had called him to do, and he was going to be obedient to do it. And he wasn't even focused on what God had already prepared for him in the background. And so there's this, there's, there's this ram in the background that God has prepared for him to be able to sacrifice instead of his son. And he doesn't see it until God tells him, hey, stop, hold up, look up. And then he looks up and he sees this, this ram. And, and I, I just kind of get this picture in my head that, that, that sort of like up one side of the mountain, you have Abraham and Isaac. And they're, they're walking along. Um, Jonathan, Jonathan, maybe, maybe you could help me out. Would you like to play the ram today? Just kind of give a little visual. All right. There, there, there they go. Okay, you got it. You got it. No, 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 don't go, don't go full on into the, the, the role. <laughs> it's our head-button people. No, uh, don't, we don't want any of that. Uh, but it's like the, this, this is just the way I see it, because, because Abraham's up here on the top of the mountain. Come on up, Ram, like you're, you're up here. There you go, you got it, you got it. Okay, so, so, so the Ram ends up there on the thicket on that side. Abraham's here about, about to kill his son. He looks up. Oh, hey, there's a Ram. We'll kill you instead. Nice. Uh, so... <laughs> right, he, but, but, but if he looks up into the background and he sees the ram, then, then in my mind what that means is, if you, if you want to go on back down, then what, what that means is that like Abraham, while he's walking up, like on the other side of the mountain, there's this little ram. So Abraham takes a, hold up, hold up. Abraham takes a step. This is just the way I, I it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say this. So this is all the message um, paraphrase right here the message version of the Bible. Uh, Abraham takes a step, and, and the ram takes a step. Abraham takes another step, and the ram takes another step. Abraham takes another step, and the ram takes another step. Abraham gets to the top. The ram gets to the top. Abraham gets ready to kill. His, it puts, puts his son on the altar. The ram gets stuck in the, in, in the bushes, and uh, Abraham, it, 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 it's, it's, it's almost like there's this, there's this correlation I want to see like on, on both sides of the mountain, like, like sometimes I, I, I wish we could get like a God perspective on our mountain. You know what I mean? Like from the top down, because, because how we live is like, it's sort of like this, you know, you can't see the other side of the mountain 
but 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 there's but but God has what you need in the mountain, and and and, and you and you take a step, you, you you submit to God, you say, okay, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna start um say I'm gonna start going to church. That's that's, that's a good first step. I'm gonna start uh, committing to church. I'm gonna I'm not gonna sleep in on Sundays too much, or I'm gonna go to the eleven fifteen service, and uh, I'm I'm gonna start going to church. I'm gonna make it a priority in my life. My family's gonna go to church. We're gonna hear the word of God. My kids are gonna hear from God. And and, and so and, and then you take that step, and then, and then you take another step. Okay, I'm gonna start reading my Bible. I'm gonna start joining a small group. I'm gonna get connected with the people of God, and you take another step. I'm, not, I'm probably going to start serving. I guess I'll give up some of my time and some of my talents and, and even some of my money. And then you, the, you take another step. And, and it's, it's like each step of the way, you're getting closer, yes, to the, to the death of, of, of what you love. You're getting closer to giving up more of yourself to God. But at the same time, you're also getting closer to what God has in store for you. And sometimes like what you're, what you're binding and what you're losing is not nearly as great as what you're finding and what God's bringing to you because he knows exactly what you need. And he's not even going to make you lose what you thought you're going to lose. You're just going to gain what you, that's what Jesus said. Whoever, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You're going to lose it and find it. And on the same day, at the same place, God's going to bring his provision. As you lay down your pride, God's going to bring in his power. As you lay down your, your stubbornness, God's going to bring in his ways of working things out. That his provision is in the mountain. And it's almost like on the other side of the mountain. And this is why it's difficult. Go, go on, Ram. Like, you can't, you can't see it. You know what I mean? Because this is what Abraham did. Abraham was like, one step. Yeah, all right, all right. Another step. All right, we're going up. Come on. He's like, another step. Like, that's what happened to Abraham. But that's not really us because we are not the father of the faith. We are Austinites and Budaites and, and Americans. And uh, <laughs> no, this is us. Like we'll, like, we'll take a step. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start going to church. Ah, that that's, that's sounds, sounds good. And then we're, like, then we're like, oh, church is full of hypocrites. And then we're like, take a step back. <laughs> what's funny, what's funny is I say, well, how, how do you know the church is full of hypocrites? Well, because I saw them in the club with me Saturday night. <laughs> I'm like, huh, you're pretty friendly with them Saturday night. You can go to a club with hypocrites, but you can't go to church with them. Okay. <laughs> no, you know, like we, like, like we take a step, and then we, then we start finding things wrong with that step. We, and because we're looking at the next step, we're like, I don't think I'm ready for that. And so, yeah, okay, fine, all right, all right, I'll start, I'll start reading my Bible and praying. I really don't understand it, and, and it doesn't seem like the whole Bible app thing on the, on the city chapel works very well, because I don't understand. And so then, and then, then we, we, we come back. What's crazy is we're, we're on this side of the mountain and we only see this. We don't even see what God's doing on the other side of the mountain. And we sit around on our side of the mountain. Sometimes we just get discouraged and we just sit down. We're just like, oh, keep walking up and down these steps. I'm tired. I'm tired going up and down. What in the world? And I wonder if at the same time we're sitting down complaining about God not providing. At the same time, his provision has to sit down and wait for us to get off of our... I don't know, but you might want to just keep walking. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you knew what was on the other side of your mountain, if you knew what was on the other side of your obedience, okay? If you knew what was on the other side of your yes to God and your laying down of yourself, you would do it right now, right away. If you could see God's perspective, if you could be up here on the top of the mountain, if you could see what's coming up on the other side of your obedience, I think... I think we would we would we would run up we would run up run up that mountain, and uh, thank you, Ram. That was, that was great. Because <laughs> it's it's in it's in the mountain. Really, I mean these these three steps here in the church are actually pretty pretty prophetic because they're really they're they're really about three steps that each of us have to make. There's actually. There's, there's four, four kinds of people here in three steps. The, 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 the first person here is the person who's just checking out church. And, um, and you kind of have a relationship with church. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Um, you sort of like us. <laughs> otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You, uh, so, you know, you're kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Right? You're down here on the, on the lower step. You're just, you're, 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 just, you're just checking it out. And some people live here. Like, they, they, they check it out on Easter. They check it out on Christmas. They check it out on our birthday. 
this isn't a good time to look around and start, you know, jabbing. No, no, no. But I mean, it's just serious. It's just that that's where you're at. Now, obviously, that's better than not checking it out. I mean, that's a, hey, it's a starting place. But, you know, you're just checking it out. You have a, you have a sort of a, a, a relationship with the church. And uh, that, that, that's either good or bad based on the kind of church you've attended, you know. And now that you're at the world's okayest church, it's going to be okay, okay? You're going to be all right. It's not going to be great. <laughs> it's not going to be the worst you ever had either. But it's just, you know, it's just okay. And, and, that, and that's fine. But then God asks you, when you're checking out church, God asks you to take a step up. Because the real provision, the power in your life is not in checking out church. I mean, there's some power there. There's some encouragement. You're going to hear something every once in a while. It's going to be like, yeah, I, I, oh, that, that helped me. And then a week's going to go by, and you're going to forget it. Because um, I forget what I preach. So, I mean, if I forget what I preach, I know you all forget what I preach. Although Bob's taking notes, so we're going to be fixing that soon. But, uh, but, but, but what, what God is calling to, 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 to this level, the first step for you, is just simply to make a commitment to the house of God. Make a commitment to the people of God. Make a commitment that on Sunday morning, at whatever hour you want to go to church, whatever church, even if it's not City Chapel, you know, if you want to go to a better church or a lamer church, it's totally up to you. Uh, but, but whatever church it is, just to make a commitment to say, this is, this is my church, this is my group. I'm going to be there. I'm going to hear what God has to say to me. My kids are going to hear the word. My kids are going to be a part of Sunday school. They're going to learn about God. I want this to be part of my family, right? And so for many of us, that's the first step, and that's a great step to take. And, and, and the enemy's going to fight you at that step. And the enemy's going to show you some hypocrites. And the enemy's going to try to, try to rub you the wrong way. The enemy's going to try to offend you. And Pastor Harry's going to preach something you don't quite agree with. And, 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 and that, that, that's going to happen because the enemy doesn't even want you to take one step. If he can stop you at the first step, then you're never going to get to the top. You're never going to see what God has for you. And so he tries to stop you right here. But many of us have already kind of, like, if you're in church, you've kind of decided already, yeah, this is my church. And, you know, twice a month I'm going to be there. And, uh... uh <laughs> <laughs> just kidding uh anyway you're so, so so there you are like 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 mostly committed like you're in and 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 now god's calling you to take step number two which step number two is to make not only have a relationship with church but to have a relationship with god not for just church to be a part of your life but for god to be a part of your life how does God be a part of my life? Well, I talk to him on a daily basis. I, I read his word. I listen to Christian music. I, I, I set some boundaries in my life. Right? I don't go to certain websites, and I don't, I don't talk about certain people. I start letting God be a part of me in my life every day. And let me tell you, if, if, you, if, if, if you thought you were getting fought down here on this step, it gets a lot harder up here. Because you don't, you know, you, you, you don't just step into this step. You don't just like, woo, all right, woo, I'm there. No, it takes time. It takes a while. You start working him into your life, and he starts speaking to you about different things. And then he starts disrupting your life, and stuff you thought was okay, suddenly it's like, well, I don't know that that's quite all right. I, I, something's kind of feeling bad in me. And so you either run from that, hey, all right, let's go on back down to here, because I wasn't feeling bad about that before. Or you stand your ground. And you own the step. And as you own the step, the Holy Spirit starts working in your life and starts getting some stuff out of your life. And it's powerful. It's a good moment. And if you're in this step, I mean, own it. Own the step. But then God's going to call you to another step. It's going it's to it's call you a little bit higher. And this is to a place where, where yes, God, uh, church is a part of my life. Now God is a part of my life. Now God's people are a part of my life. In other words, I start attending a small group. In other words, I start, I start joining with other people in serving. In other words, I, 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 I come in, I help set up and tear down. I give financially to the church. Like God's people matter to me. God's, I know God's people, and, and they're a part of my, my circle of friends. And this, if you thought you were getting fought here, you're really going to get fought here because God's people are not nearly as, good, as perfect as God. Because God's people, like, you know... They're kind of messed up. Thank you, Ram. Thank you. They're kind of, they're kind of, they're kind of off a little bit. They're kind of, they're weird. You know, they're just some, some of, some of God's people are just weird. And, 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 and like you're going to meet them. 
And they're going to be a part of your small group. And they're going to look at you funny. And you're not going to know why. And they're going to stop talking to you. And it's going to be weird. But, but the, 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 you've got to own the step. And the way you own the step is you just be patient with people like God's been patient with you. Like when God was patient with you down here, you start being patient with people up here. When God was forgiving you down here, you're like, hey, I, I, I think I learned how to do that. Because God just totally wiped a whole lot of stuff out of my slate. And so I'll just wipe that off of their slate. And so we start, we, we, we own this step, but until you own this step, you can never take the next step. And the next step is, is the highest step, and this is where life happens. This is where you read about Scripture, and Jesus says, I will give to them abundant life. I will give to them greater life, blessed life, huge life, your best life now, according to one author. You know, I mean, this is where, this is where it's at, and this is where the altar is. This is where... Okay, look, church is a part of my life. God is a part of my life. God's people are a part of my life. My life is over. It's not my life anymore. The kingdom of me has a new king. And I'm not asking you to, 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 to go from there to here in one Sunday. That's ridiculous. I, even one month, even one year. That, that's not how it works. But if you're on this step, and if you've and if, if and if you've made God's people your people, and if you've if you've made if you've made commitments to God, and if, if you're if you're if you've owned this step, the next step for you is to lay down your life. And it's not about my life anymore. This isn't my these aren't my clothes. This isn't my family. This isn't my church. It's not my job. These are all God's things. If He wants me to keep them, I'll keep them. If He wants to take them, He'll take them. And that is where, that is where you stop being responsible for your life. It doesn't mean that you just sit on the couch all day, but it means you don't worry. And it's not because you're telling yourself, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It's because you seriously aren't worried about God's life. Because God can handle it, I think. He's pretty, pretty, pretty powerful and stuff. Like, like, and if he doesn't want me to have it, then I don't want to have it. And if he doesn't want me to go there, then I don't want to go there. And if he wants to cancel my trip, then I want to cancel my trip. And whatever he wants to do in my life, that's what I want him to do. And so it's not like we just sit back on the couch and just do whatever, but we, 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 we aggressively pursue the will of God in our lives. We take risks. We take chances. We jump out there. We, 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 we feed 95 kids now every weekend. We do what we can do to serve other people because it's not about us now. My money's not mine, so I'm free to give it away because I'm not even giving my money away. I already gave my money away a long time ago. I'm giving away God's money. Don't tell them. I'm handing it off. I'm, I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Like, 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 this is not my stuff. I'm not connected to it. I'm not responsible to protect it or provide for myself anymore. I have allowed God to take that place. And I've put what I love on the altar and I, I've raised the knife. And then amazingly, God just resurrects it right there and gives it back to me. And says, here you go. Now live free. Now live open. Now live through the same kind, because, because everyone's going to face stuff. But not everyone is going to have peace through stuff. Not everyone's going to have rest. And that's what Jesus offers. I'm going to end with a video. I have a video of a family in our church connected to almost everybody here, uh, relationally or uh, because you're related to them. Uh, uh, JT and Al Alma, uh, Terry, uh, today, October 1st, uh, marks the one-year anniversary of when uh, they lost, and I guess we all lost, uh, Hector, their son. And so this week, I didn't even ask him to do it, uh, but uh, JT and Alma wanted to record a video testimony. It'd be way too hard for them to, me to drag them up here and share a testimony, but um, they recorded a video, and uh, I got to edit it yesterday, so I went through half a box of Kleenexes, because uh, <laughs> you got to watch it a thousand times when you edit it, um, and I chopped it down as much as I could. There was so much uh, good coming out of this difficult situation, and so I'd like, I'd like to just end by showing their testimony, because I can tell you about what it is to be up here, or I can show you. 
<laughs> and so I'd rather show you um, so you can find yourself uh, in that situation maybe or a similar situation. But this is, this is what God has on offer for you. Um, if you guys want to go ahead and show the video. As many of you know, uh, we lost our 26-year-old son approximately a year ago. And actually, October 1st is the one-year anniversary. For those who don't know, he developed a seizure disorder when he had a, an athletic accident when he was in junior high. When, when our son was going to move out to his own apartment, it was going to be that Saturday, October 1st. Um, we had gotten up, gone to help clean um, our church grounds, which is the school, Williams Elementary, when we got the phone call. Um, and we got there, and I just couldn't believe it. But I think that, I don't know if God was preparing me for it, but I had this sense of peace, and I don't, and I remember before, even before that, when he was moving, going back a little bit, um, because of his condition, um, I remember I was a little worried because he was going to be on his own in his own apartment. Um, but I remember I was getting ready for work and that morning, two weeks prior to October 1st, I remember just raising my hands and saying, God, he's in your hands, which we should do for all of our children that I know a lot of parents do, but I honestly gave him to God and I said, God, he's yours. Whatever happens, whether good, bad, or whatever, I will accept because I knew he was going to be on his own. And at that point, something came over me. And it's almost like I saw him just grab a hold of Hector and just say, I've got him. Don't worry about him. And I went to work. And then I felt a, a sense of peace. I didn't worry about it. I didn't hesitate about anything. I just let go and handed it over. Handed my son over to God. And that Wednesday that he was prior to his moving, I went to help him pack. Um, that was the last day that I saw him, was that Wednesday, of which would be of this week. Um, I felt this comfort, and I didn't know where it was coming from. I had no idea it was going to be my last day seeing him. Um, and I thank God every day for the... We have such good memories, such a good relationship that we had, we all have as a family. The power that, that, that was the funeral, the worst formal meeting or moment of our, of our life, uh, also had so much positive come from it. I had, we had a lot of people from work, your work, my work, uh, Hector's work, just a lot of people. And Pastor Harry had taken some private moments that we had shared with him and turned a terrible moment into a, a powerful message of hope. Uh, humorously, I might add, he was quite funny. But a lot of people after the fact were, were, were touched. They reached out to their families. They reached out to us to talk about how special that moment of, of sharing was. And um, to have 10, 15, 20 people reach out to us because of the passing of our son and how our strength affected them and made them want to reach out to their extended family and folks who haven't spoken, brothers who haven't spoken in years. And it, brought, and it did bring a lot of families back together. Yeah. Um, and it brought some of my family back together. Um, there were people that weren't speaking to each other. But it did, and it made people realize how short life is and how important it is to live a, a Christian life. And they saw, um, Hector was always big on, he never understood bitterness, ugliness, rudeness. He was all about being kind. Um, and I think he brought a lot of that out 
during the funeral with a lot of other people that are now speaking to family, now speaking to friends. I think back to the time that we walked into City Chapel, which was two years ago. Um, and I know had we not walked in there and I would have felt the Holy Spirit come over me, I don't think that I would be where I'm at today, um, dealing with the loss of our son. Um, I can honestly say it's through the grace of God. It's only through the grace of God and with this grace that we're able to survive and live daily. We felt the Holy Spirit when we walked in. We both de rededicated our lives to to Christ. We both uh, were rebaptized. And had it not been for that sense of connection and that sense of love, we would be probably in a, in a much different place. We didn't experience the anger that typically should go with an experience like this. But there was just something about our struggles that uh, that needed to be shared and, and neither one of us were real excited about sitting before this camera and telling people about this terrible moment yeah. in our life but it was a moment of it was a moment of life it wasn't a moment of death it was a moment of life yeah and that's I mean you've got to release and hand everything over to him from here. And he, God will honestly take you and walk you through every single thing and never leave you. And he doesn't take away my sadness, my brokenness. There are days that I miss him dearly, but I know I feel God's hand on my shoulder, seriously, sometimes in just saying, it's okay to cry, it's okay. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, I spent all of my time praying and supporting and trying to protect her and all of our family that I at times uh, forgot about me. But uh, in a neat turn of events, uh, a lot of connections and relationships at church and God didn't forget about me. And with that, it made me much stronger and uh, set a tone for really a, a much more powerful Christian witness and testimony and, and husband-wife team. We're still excited to be living. We're still excited to be representing Jesus and all that that means to us. In spite of this terrible, it was traumatic, it was unexpected, he was only 26, he was a beautiful young man, and uh, coolly enough, he dedicated a life to Jesus two weeks before this tragedy occurred, which reiterates uh, where we are standing today, in our faith and in our love for, for Christ and our church. Amen. Yeah. Appreciate their courage to share that. And uh, if you see them today, uh, give them a high five, give them a hug. Uh, also, after uh, the second service, we're going to have a kickball tournament in honor of Hector. He liked playing kickball. And so uh, we're going to go. You're going to see me run. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, Rose heard stories. Um, I was going to see the real thing, but uh, yeah, it's a story of life. It's just not a story of death, it's a story of life, and they are really living it in the real world, and uh, so whatever you're facing, I'm telling you, God can, God can take it and make it something, something beautiful.